All right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. And uh, Katie, you probably don't know this. This is my favorite day of the year. Why? What is today? I actually eagerly await this day every year, although it usually comes at a different time of the year. Today's the NBA draft. Oh, right. I mean, that yeah. was too obvious. The way you said that made it sound like it wasn't also my favorite day. So that's why I was... <laughs> right. I, so yeah, you, yeah. That threw you off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, threw me off, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, this, 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 among other things, it's one of my favorite sort of media phenomena uh, is watching the NBA because it has like one of the most predictable things that happens in media. Dan, if we could just see the first example I, I put in there. So this is the coach basically saying he's really happy that they got the guy that they got. And so the, they'll say things like, we, di- we didn't know he was going to be there at 15. That's the, that's the quote that you will see like eight of tomorrow. Yeah. Like we, we really didn't expect him to be there at 45. So here, here's like another example. This was a couple of years ago with a guy named Melvin Frazier who turned out not to like play at all. But it, this is the Orlando Magic saying, we, we had Melvin rated much higher than 35. We just didn't expect him to be there at 35. Um, right. Like it's like weird that he'd be still on, wouldn't have been uh, scooped up, right? He scooped up. Yeah, oh my it, God, yeah. our, our good fortune. We got this guy and, and, and you, the fan, are so lucky because right. we lucked into this guy who, who, shouldn't, who shouldn't have fallen to us. So that, are they ever right? Occasionally, um, but most of the time it's just like, we're, you know, we're selling you on something that just happened uh, randomly, uh, but we want to make it out like it's a really awesome thing. So I, I look forward to that. Uh, um, tonight, I'm going to guess that five people do that tonight. Okay, we'll, cool. We'll, we'll, see. we'll, to, see, if it, we'll yeah. see if it turns out to be more than that. Yeah. Um, anyway, we have an amazing guest this week. Uh, I've a, been thinking for a while. I wish he were here. Now he's going to be here. <laughs> well, you... you uh, we be, we better run like hell to get to the to the segment. To the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we could go on and on like this. I can barely feel my uh, extremities. It's like I'm numb, but I'm not <laughs> uncomfortable. I'm like yeah, comfortably comfor- numb, you know. Com- comfortably numb, exactly. Yeah. With uh, with anticipation, yeah. Well, not now, Katie. We, we've got to get on with the show. All right. You know what I like doing? I like watching NBA with the sound off, listening to Pink Floyd. It, it, it's, that's a comeback. It's, a, it's all come full circle now. So, all right. Uh, four food groups, uh, Republicans suck, Democrats suck. Uh, isn't that terrible? Isn't that weird? So Democrats suck. Uh, we do have a good one. Dan, if we could see the National Review story. It's in, look, we're, we're quoting the National Review. This is Democrats suck. What do you want us to do? Headline here is Biden appoints free speech antagonists to sell free speech abroad. And it's uh, Rick Stengel, formerly the managing editor of Time. Charming picture of him. Biden um, has appointed him to the uh, transition team for the uh, U.S. Agency for Global Media, which I'd never heard of, by the way. Is it new? Is this a a post-disinformation thing? It's ominous sounding, but um, according to the National Review, it's a public service media network that uh, it oversees public service media networks that provide unbiased news and information in countries where the press is restricted. I have no idea what that means. So Stengel is basically one of these guys who's who's been uh, at the forefront of this new sort of content moderation movement. There's a quote here where he, <laughs> this is funny, from a, an op-ed he wrote in, in 2019. Um, As a government official traveling around the world champion, championing the virtues of free speech, I came to see how our First Amendment standard is an outlier. 
even the most sophisticated Arab diplomats that I dealt with did not understand why the First Amendment allows someone to burn a Koran. Why, they asked me, would you ever want to protect that? So That is like a good move. You know what he's doing there? What What is he doing? Well, I mean, that's just a great like weaponizing wokeness, which is going to be a theme. I mean, it's oh, been a theme, well, but of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's why, like, why do we why would we want to protect Islamophobia? Right. Yes. And, you know, the it's this is like that whole uh, je ne suis Charlie Hebdo. Right. You know, or je, je ne suis pas uh, Charlie, Charlie. Right. There's really not a lot to say about this, except this 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 was my number one concern heading into this Biden presidency was that these people do not believe um, in free speech and civil liberties. And moreover, that they the big lesson that they took away from 2016 in the Trump presidency is that they just allowed too many people to say stuff. Right. Um, and, and they're now going to fix that. Uh, so so great. We're appointing a guy who believes that the First Amendment is an outlier. Incidentally, it's an outlier because we made it an outlier. Like that was the whole point of the United States right. was that was that uh, we were going to be the only country that that made this a priority. Right. And we, we pretty much always have. But we've let we've kind of let the world down in other areas. Uh, but I mean, well, we ha I mean, we've let the world down in this area, too, but ostensibly in theory. Right. Ostensibly not, in theory yeah. at home we've never had a in peacetime anyway we've never had a formal media regulator uh, but we did have i mean you know this better than anyone else right but we had the like assange stuff obviously of course and then yes. the um what was that foreign media the far stuff oh you mean with the the with rt and and making the yes we're, we're using using far to go after foreign media outlets yeah all that stuff's kind of new um you know, for the most part, we've, we, we've, we've had a pretty free media uh, up, up until right. recently. So that freaks me out. For that to be one of the first stories that came out that, that worried me. Um, as you pointed out, there's another story that's kind of related. Um, well, I'm just that, relieved that that's just sorry. That's not we, we should keep a tab like tally it Russiagate or woke. Like what what reason they give for doing something. Oh, right. Sometimes it's both. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, in this case, it's both. Yeah. Right. We can't have the Quran burning and we can't allow, you know, the Russians to interfere right. uh, with the Quran burning. Or, uh, and and, and uh, I think the other story uh, that we can see it just quickly <sighs> is uh, it's an appointment of some oil and gas folks to a prominent position. This is uh, from a friend of show, David Sirota. So the there Biden is appointing Cedric Richmond, uh, the congressperson from uh, from uh, Louisiana, to the Office of Public Engagement, where he's expected to liaise with the business community and climate change activists. Of course, he's an oil and gas person. Right. So he's going to be the person saying yes. Sorry. Yes. And it's funny because Matt, before we taped, um, I mentioned something about how annoying this was going to be because I knew that they were going to try to hide behind his being black um, to justify whatever bad stuff he does. We saw a preview of this in a uh, an article where, uh, well, so the story was that Sunrise Movement and Justice Dems wanted Biden to sign a pledge that he wouldn't name any uh, lobbyists, corporate lobbyists, or Wall Street people to his cabinet, and. Uh, Rev, uh, and Rep Meeks, Gregory Meeks, uh, said that that was terrible. How could you do that? Because that would be at odds with uh, diversity. 
because yeah. you know the truth is that there are only the only people of color who are at all qualified to be on uh, and serving in a cabinet are corporate shills. They don't have right. any, you know, there are no principled people of color to choose I'm, from. I'm pretty sure their entire list of di diver potentially diverse hires is just Deval Patrick. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, yeah. Deval Patrick or, the, or these, or this guy. Or this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So in so, every conversation they're saying, well, well, who do you think we could put in that? How about, how about Deval Patrick? Right. Or, or, Cedric, or this guy. Cedric. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or, or do you not want any, or it's okay. We don't have to put them on. We just won't have any people of color. That's fine. That's right. fine. Yeah. It's up to you. If you're, it's if you, you, I mean, and, and it's so, so funny because they, they try to frame this as purity politics. And of course, like, well, if this is purity politics, so is diversity. Because wh why are we, they're both important though. And it's a false dichotomy. It's not mutually exclusive. It's not like a zero sum game. I, th I think there should be some kind of like a, a an equation yeah. that, that tells you like how much of a, a, of a bought off asshole you have right. to be in, in, in a, in a, major corporation to offset you know that your contribution on the diversity front so if yeah. you're a, a you know a black lesbian but you hire death squads uh for bp or something like that does that bring you back to even like what right i see what you mean yeah exactly you know we need to there make has a to chart. Be an algorithm yeah. right we need an algorithm yeah in fact uh maybe since we don't care about free speech that much that guy spangler spangler mm -hmm. Stangler. Stangler. Uh, he can Spanky. like. Let's just call him Spanky. Spanky. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Spanky can take care of that. He can That's make right. a, uh, what would that be? A bought off. He'll just make an algorithm. An and then, algorithm. And then, of course, he won't care because he doesn't. He'll, yeah. he'll suppress it. He'll suppress it. Right. We won't know what's happening. And then basically, we will get the, the most diverse um, cabinet of death squad uh, <laughs> coordinators that we've seen uh, ever. And it's going to be amazing. You know, Michelle Florent Fiorni, you know, for, who the Pentagon pick. Oh, uh, right, yes. Who brought us, uh, who brought you great, whose greatest hits include Libya. She's going to break that glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. Really excited. You know, a lot of glass ceilings, I got to hand it to her. She's broken a lot of glass ceilings already, but usually in other people's countries without their consent. Right. Uh, through bombing. Usually with the heads of terror suspects. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we can do it. Equality. Slay queen, literal slay queen. I am woman, hear me roar. Oh, and just really, I gotta add this, that exactly like clockwork, Jonathan Martin from the New York Times tweets because Sunrise Movement tweeted out that they were upset about this, this appointee. Uh, they tweeted, Cedric Richmond hires betrayal due to big oil ties and silence and pollution in his district, right? Jonathan Martin writes, 21 preview, picking a fight right, after, right from the start with the most influential black staffer in the White House who represented awesome. an energy-heavy district. And then he quotes Sunrise Movement saying that. So it's Biden and it's the, the media like New York Times making the point that how dare you? How dare you from the get-go look at someone's policy? You are a climate change organization and how dare you question who Biden is naming? Yeah. So for Republican suck, we got, uh, you know, dear friend of the show, dear friend of Matt Taibbi's, uh, Max Boot, Max mm. Das Boot. Uh, mm -hmm. And he, as is his want, uh, he really likes to claim credit for no longer being a Republican. Mm -hmm. Speaking of death squads, I really like these people who are so loyal that they're okay with the Iran-Contra stuff. They're okay with Panama. 
they're okay with the Iraq war, but something, you know, once you get that Cheeto Mussolini into the White House, you just realize your values. No, they didn't, their values didn't change. It's not that they left the Republican party, right? The Republican party left them. Naturally. But, but I don't really, it's, it's like, I would say congratulations because I don't like Republicans, but I don't think they're doing it for the right reasons, obviously, since especially according to their theory, they stayed in their that terrible place. But anyway, so he, of course, as is his want, um, decided to make an ideology to, to dress up an ideological argument in the form of a diagnosis, pragmatic, just, you know, calling strikes and balls argument. And he Te technocratic argument. I love technocratic. That. Exactly. Technocratic argument. Right. Um, and he he claimed that, you know, the Lincoln Project really helped deliver. Uh, they did great work in getting Biden into office. So basically, long story short, is that Daily Poster, another shout out to Daily Poster, uh, founded by a dear friend of the show, actual friend of the show, an actual guest of the show, David Sirota. Um, it turns out that Max Boots thesis that uh, that the Lincoln Project d helped out is wrong. He got some numbers wrong in an op-ed in the Washington Post. And the actual op-ed, of course, the, the headline was not changed. They changed some, they did what we call a stealth edit in the business, right? Which or is when a you make, silent edit. Um, or a silent edit, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you'd never know. But, but what's interesting is that uh, Daily Poster did an analysis of the media ads that, uh, that the Lincoln Project put out. And they spent, um, sorry, they raised, uh, do you know how much, guess how much money they raised? I'm just give a guess. $100 million. Uh, $77 million. Okay. As uh, Daily Poster points out, the Lincoln Project's GOP operatives raised huge money from liberals by asserting that they would peel away Republican support from Trump. However, uh, Washington Post reporters poured cold water on that idea, on the idea that never Trump groups succeeded in doing that. And... Uh, Despite pleas by Never Trump voices, the president secured a larger share of Republican voters nationally, 94% in 2020, than four years ago when he won 88% and third-party candidates received more support. And a good friend of the show, Ben Tolchin, also backed that up. But the point is the headline, Never Trumpers played a critical role in beating him. Uh, the numbers prove it. That is still the headline, even though uh, his numbers are off. Okay, a couple of things here. Yeah. First of all, uh, and I have a thing coming out about this pretty soon. But the, the the stealth edit has has become a serious problem. Yeah. In in, in journalism, and, there, and it it takes like six different forms. All of them are really super sneaky. And you know, for some of us, we remember like the more obvious examples. Remember when they did that the Bernie article, and then they went back and they changed it from like he's really a good congressman to he, he kind of is average yeah. and yeah, you know, yeah small was, ball yeah it was around the edges whatever it was but it, it was it was obvious enough that they but, but they didn't they like got caught you caught them they, you were among the people who caught them yeah although it wasn't me somebody tipped me off and yeah. and but you know that is only one form that it takes where they you know where they just don't tell you like a lot of times the first version of a story will come out and editor they'll, they'll they'll get feedback and they'll go in and they'll tweak something sometimes it's because the editor some editor who's higher than the than the immediate editor right sees the story doesn't like it and then it's one of those shit rolls downhill things where where they're telling the reporter's editor to make changes and so that's when you will hear about it because the reporter will see will 
quietly complain to somebody in those right. instances. Um, but they're doing it in like all these other ways now that are really interesting. Like, and we saw this with a lot with the Russiagate stories where they'll make a correction in the text. And then for like a day, there will be an editor's note at the bottom of the story that will say an original version of this story said X, Y, and Z, but we changed it to, you know, A, B, and C yeah. because of something, right? And then, and then they will disappear the editor's note. So, so it like, it like gets them out of the ethical problem of not disclosing, you know? Um, but then it's just temporary. It's just temporary. Right? Like if, can, if you they, blink, you miss it. Right. Or they'll put the, the disclosure somewhere else. Like they, they might, they might do like a, uh, a separate story on like a new piece of news and they'll say, um, yes, we know we reported this before. Um, but we, you know, for whatever reason, we stand by our story, but you won't see the new information in the original story. So when you go to search for it, uh, right, it'll still come up the old version, the incorrect yeah. version. It is really stunning. Yeah. So this is like, a, it's like a serious problem because, because most people like, you know, articles kind of live forever. They're not like, you know, um, you think that they're like permanent living documents, like they were in newspapers, but they're not, they're like changeable and uh i think what's happening is there's no standard about it uh yeah. and and people are just kind of winging it which is really crazy but just to sorry did it's just to, to wrap the what is it thread the needle or I, I i should have said this earlier but what just to summarize what it was that mox das boot said uh the headline was never trumpers played a critical role in beating him the numbers prove it and then he said uh that the groups you know the lincoln project and the whatever other republican group, former Republic or Republicans for Biden, um, quote, shared with me preliminary data to show that their work actually played a critical role in Biden's victory. Their numbers are in line with publicly available exit polls showing that nationally 7% of 2016 Trump voters and 8% of Republican or Republican leaning voters back Biden. Those figures are more than twice Biden's current popular vote margin. And then Daily Poster writes, those numbers don't actually prove anything. 7% of 2016 Trump voters is equal to roughly 4.4 million votes. With some votes still outstanding, Biden is up by more than 5 million votes. And Emma Catherine DSA tweeted about Max's thing. This is why math is, in fact, very important in education. The, the, the point of the story is that the is, is that the people who were most influential in helping Biden win were not like all these ordinary people. It, it was clearly the defecting uh, neoconservatives, blah, 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 uh, who have now joined forces with the Democrats. Right. And, right. You're saying that that's their narrative, right? That's their narrative. Yeah, right? Course, so, right. So, so what, you know, but the Biden presidency is going to be this ongoing, there's the, the tension that already exists between two different visions of what we're going to see going forward. I think it's already pretty clear that they see themselves as norms defenders, right? right? Like we're, we're going to restore all these norms, some of which are good, right? They're going to get us back into international treaties that Trump backed out of and other craziness. But, you know, for the most part, what, what I think they think is the, is the best part about this presidency is that it's going to bring all these beltway you know, national security hacks and, you know, Atlantic Council and, you know, all, all these people that Max Boot and people of his ilk like 
Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're going to be the new face of the, I guess, the Democratic Party. So right, may, because may that, for them. that way they can justify. I mean, we talked about this last week, right? But like if you if you say that they're the reason that they won, then you can exactly kind of justify not listening to, for instance, Sunrise Movement. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't listen to him anyway. Right. But now they get to pretend that there's a re exactly they get to hide beh behind the technocracy, the technocratic right. argument instead of the ideological one. All right. So for uh, for isn't that uh, terrible, Dan, if we could see this headline. So um, there's like three things going on here. First, the, the headline is Kissinger warns Biden of U.S. China catastrophe on scale of World War One. I, I think what he's saying is that there's going to be an interlocking like. A, a series of problems with uh, alliances or something like that doesn't it doesn't matter the, the the thing that's bad about this is that now that biden is elected we actually have to start listening to henry kissinger right. and, you know, I mean, i've already seen headlines like Hil hillary clinton warns that x y and z so they're all going to come back it's like it's all like the the entire like herman munster family of, yeah that's good. Uh, I like that. Of, yeah. um, you know, sort of Clintonian war criminal types. He's back in the fold now. So um, we can go back to being confrontational with all these world powers. Right. I just want to say my favorite part of Biden being elected is that I get to criticize him without anyone telling me I'm helping Trump get elected mm -hmm. for selfish reasons. But do you think that until, um, until Trump announces that he's going to run 2024? Right. Well, or, you know, like we're going to get Matt Chrisman predicted this that um, uh, from Chapa Trap House that people are going to be like pushed into falling in line no matter what. Like before it was because or else we'll let Trump win now. And now it'll be like, oh, but come from the get go, like give him a chance or uh, the Proud Boys, uh, you know, something. It's always going to be something. So we should prepare for that. Yeah, it's going to be Russia, the Proud Boys. Um... Norms norms anti-semitism we can talk a little bit about oh, that yeah, with our yeah, yeah. with our guests guess, i mean yeah. you know they'll, they'll just keep coming up with stuff and uh, i mean the big and the biggest thing is gonna i mean look we've already seen this i almost want to thank them for being so overt about it in fact in my i i, I there's a very like o overlooked and neglected piece of audio of biden in the 70s saying that the reason he didn't uh, support busing is because it's a rejection of black pride right Yes. Which is like amazing. And he really is a trailblazer in that. Yeah, field. right. He was a visionary. He was a visionary. He was like weaponizing. He was like uh, pseudo woke before anyone else was pseudo woke. And he was weaponizing that. Yeah. No. So I don't, I don't really have anything else to add here, it's, except that my, my terrible this week isn't like, you know, a plague of rats or, you know, a, a sinkhole. Uh, but but just the it's fact almost, that it's, it's almost as serious, but not quite as the rats. Just the return of all these people to um, respectability is a little little worrisome. So. Do you think that they may be more hawkish than Trump? Uh, so I mean, my my theory about Trump was always and and war was always um, that he he had a uh, probably some kind of on some level uh, a an, an instinct that. Politically, it wasn't a good move for right. him. Probably also, and this is this I think we saw with the very beginning of his presidency when he stopped having the daily briefings on on intelligence, for which they, you know, they pilloried him for that. But 
I don't think he wanted to have generals in his office every morning. Right. You see, I remember. You know? yeah. uh, and so be- between probably having an instinct that he would screw it up and uh, and also just not wanting to have to deal with the with the logistical hassle of it. Yeah. I always thought he was kind of like disinclined for war in a way that some some politicians maybe I mean, not for any good reason. I just think that that's what was the case with him. Like laziness. Yes. Laziness, opportunism, uh, not wanting to spend money. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, how Bill Maher has new rules. We have to have old rules, which is that like, here's one of the old rules. You can't say in response to what we're saying, oh, you think Trump likes peace? You think Trump is a peacenik? You think he's an anti-imperialist? No. Right. No. Sorry, I'm, I'm already, I just, I hate that response. Like whenever you try to to discuss this, some someone comes in to explain to you that Trump is not actually like an anti-war guy. It's like, oh. right, we know that. We are not talking about his motivations. I mean, I, the, 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 the yeah, but Trump thing, yeah. like by the, by, uh, and I think we saw this in the last couple of weeks, but by the end of his presidency, like it made like every cell in my body squirm you know, whenever people did that, because they did it so often, like, we're not saying the guy's good. We're, we're saying that, you know, politically, or for whatever reason, that just his administration is disinclined to do X or Y. Um, And, you know, but he's gone from the scene, but, but very quickly, they're going to be returning the specter of Trump into, so we're in like a grace period now. And isn't, isn't he trying to pull out of Afghanistan? Well, that's so the a lot of the Republicans are saying that's what's going on is, is that he's trying to that some of the moves that he's making in um, in the Pentagon are rather designed to declassify Russiagate stuff or to affect a withdrawal from Afghanistan just to leave a big, big right. fat mess for. Right. Um, but. We'll see. I, I, of course, have my doubts that that would ever happen, that anybody could actually do that. Yeah, and T- Tammy Duckworth doesn't want that to happen because she doesn't want the so, troops to come home in body bags. I'm not, I don't know if there's like a booby-trapped exit from Afghanistan that would kill anyone coming back. Oh, yeah. Why, why, why save their lives? Because that could, that could kill them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Makes She's sense. really a beat poet. At the end of the day, Tammy Duckworth. Does she does she does she type with a cigarette in her hand? No, I just imagine like in like that context, it kind of makes sense. Uh, I see. Okay, we should do that. We should do a show where we, where we have French French cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, what do we have for? Isn't that weird? So for isn't that weird, Dan? If you could uh, click on that that link front under my isn't that weird? Uh, it's funny, Matt, that you brought up uh, rats because uh, well, let's just take a look at this. So this is um, something I saw on Twitter. Rex Chapman, I think, tweeted it. Uh, so let's oh, uh, yeah, I love this. Yeah, Rex Chapman, who is, wow, another comeback basketball player. Oh, right, of course. So that is uh, for people who don't uh, watch the show who are only listening. There is that famous image of a of a rat eating pizza, uh-huh. eating a slice of pizza or dragging a slice of pizza. So this is a human, we think, reenactment of it. And you see him dragging a huge slice of pizza, which is not real. How big would you describe that? I mean, I guess is the ratio between the human and the pizza the same as the ratio between the rat and the real the real rat and the real pizza? It's, it's like the size of a queen size mattress, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. Heck, they should make. Why don't they make pizza, pizza slice pizza mattresses? Beds. Yeah. Pizza. 
Well, because your feet would both be. <laughs> well, yeah, but you're thinking of it wrong. Your feet right. go at the crux. It could be Sicilian. Oh yeah, Sicilian. That would be great. Yeah, I really yeah. love Sicilian. Or or margarita or grandma, whichever one, same shape but thin instead of Sicilian, which is thick, obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're off track now. Oh, we're on, off train track. We're off train right. track. Um. Yeah. So that's uh. So what he liked about that though was that that was was dude going down the stairs, not even paying attention to. The rat. Oh, yeah, dude goes down the, is going down the stairs and he he climbs over the 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 ban the railing. What is it? The banister? Yeah, no, the banister, uh, the railing, whatever. Railing, whatever. He just he's, casually. He's, he doesn't want to deal with the the guy doing the funny rat bit because he's got to get get it on a train, which is so New York that that that. Is that like some kind of PSA? Like, don't leave your scraps on, in the train, or is it just a fun, like performance it's, art? It's just the dude in New York. Maybe it's a person in New York um, trying to get on the internet, you know. Yeah, and he won. You're right. Isn't that? Aren't we suckers? Isn't right? that weird? Yeah, his tail helping. is kind of scary looking. Yeah, you know the, my my favorite thing about rats is their is the Latin name for rat, which is just rat ratus ratus. Oh, that's good. I like that. I think that. is a really good name. Very emphatic. There should, there should be a band called Radis Radis. Yeah. Is there like a Radis not as Radis or something like? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, like ra less Radis Radis or minor Radis minor minoris. Right. So that was good. Man, man dragging pizza upstairs uh, in New York. Uh, so those are those are our four food groups. Yeah. We also probably should uh, talk about some very sad news, which is that. Um, we lost. Someone's been fired. Who? Tubin. Tubin Zoom got fired. Tubin. Yeah, yeah. He was fired by the New Yorker. I should hire him. <laughs> you know, yeah, you should hire him. And uh, you know, I, yeah, he. Um, you should. Well, first, let's test him on the show. I just have him do these, like you know, stand-ups from places. Jeff, I want I, I want you to cover the opening of a pizzeria on on West 79th Street. Uh, can, can you, can oh, you 78th the, and Broadway was the best. Yeah. Really good place. Right. So just have, you, have yeah. I'd like you to be there at six seventeen, uh, with your pants on, you know, see, you know, what's interesting is that there's a lot it's of talk really about nice, yeah. the male, about male privilege. And there's a piece at the rap, uh, by Sharon Waxman it says the comeuppance of Jeffrey Tubin, but where's CNN and, and the, Subheader is this reeks of malprivilege when your job is to weigh facts and render conclusions that shape public opinion, one's own judgment should matter. And then she writes, I've been trying to avoid the train wreck that is Jeffrey Tubin, but like any good crash, it keeps drawing me back in horrified fascination. Let's face it, any headline that combines the words New Yorker and masturbation is hard to resist. And at the same time, the story promises such a cringe fest that I didn't really want to know the details. But you know what I'm going to say? Here's what I'm going to say, ready? Mm -hmm. This reminds me. So a lot of people are like, oh, Tubin, why is he allowed to get away? Was he allowed to get away with this? It's because he was a man and we should make sure to send a, a message that that's not acceptable. But you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the same short-sighted, um, kind of draconian, misguided, misdirected um, sentiment that is, oh, why did this kid get off... Um, with a heavier sentence, you know, he has affluenza. Why are white kids allowed to not serve jail time for things that black kids are, are you know, overly incarcerated for? And that's true, of course, but the direction you wanna go there isn't let's lock up more white kids, it's let's not 
lock up as many black kids. And my fear here is that this is a perilous, this is the same tendency where we're letting, we're not keeping our eyes on the prize. The point is we should let all people dabble in Zoom mistakes like that. We have to have clemency. Zoom clemency? Yeah, Zoom clemency. And again, I don't know why no one's talking about the significance of, like why, it's like they just want to punish him um, because they think it's an example of male privilege. Again, I think we should be pushing back in the other direction. I mean, I'm just saying maybe a good, maybe women should start doing this on Zoom calls. That would be the other way to handle this unjust injustice. It would be interesting to see how that would, how that would be yeah. handled in the press. Hand, oh, yeah. I, I, how that would be Sorry, dealt yeah. with in the press. Yeah. To headline tomorrow, Katie Halper, men should just keep flogging it on Zoom. Yeah. No, that's not fair. It's that social, colon, and so should women. And so women need women. to start. That's the feminist solution to this. Well, I think we're, we've made our positions clear on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pro tubin. Yeah. Hard line um, for me. All right. Uh, just quickly, I think we're we're gonna we're gonna try out something new. Oh yeah. On the show this week, because I think we're we're, we're there's a muscle we're just not flexing enough, which is that we're not lending enough of our wisdom in terms of the in terms of what uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime Entertainment you should be watching. We want to chime in yes. about all these things that everybody's talking about, uh, but we won't. We don't. We want to stop short of actually watching the programs. Yeah, yeah because so, our voices and our views are so—they're not dependent on that. Right. Yeah. This is this is about it's about voice. It's about yeah. posture. It's centering. About expression. Centering. Centering. Right. Independent voices. Yeah. Yeah. So we can we can we can we have something to contribute, whether we actually watch the shows or not. That's not as important at all, yeah. Right. So let's, uh, Dan, if we could just see the first story by the Washington Post. So we're talking about the show The Crown. Yeah. And I have like eight reasons why I'm not going to watch this show. Um, But we don't have to get into this. And I I should add that I've seen a few episodes and I stopped watching. So I feel like even more empowered. Well, no, I'm less qualified than you because I've seen part of it. You're more qualified because you haven't seen any. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I'm really going out on a limb. Yeah. Um, so this this is like a new this is like a new phenomenon in media where they're like fact checking stuff that's entertainment. Fact checking the crown, what the man who broke into the queen's bedroom really wanted. I think we um, all know the answer. Well, well, let's just answer the, this question first, Katie. Do, do, do you feel that this episode was rendered accurately or not? No, I don't. And that's not that's based on what? Based on just a gut feeling. A gut feeling. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go the other direction and say that it was rendered accurately. Right. Uh, do you yeah. think it was, was it a good episode? I mean, it probably wasn't a good episode because I think it peaked at when the father, when Elizabeth's father died. I guess that was the king of England. Spoiler alert. It's, it, it fell off then. And I'm just going to assume it didn't get back on. And there are no interesting characters except for him. There was a really gross scene where you saw him getting like a lung removed, I guess, because he had lung cancer. I had no idea. It looked like a slab of meat. But yeah, anyway. Lungs, lungs are surprisingly meat-like when you actually Ugh, see them. So gross. I'm going to say that I, I thought it was not accurate. Um, you know, and of course, I'm talking about Michael Fagan, the 32-year-old bloke who in 1982, not once but twice, broke into Buckingham Palace and roamed the halls, drinking wine, sitting on thrones and admiring paintings. That sounds like fodder for an interesting uh, dramatic series. It does, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but not interesting enough for us to watch it. Uh, what, right. Dan, if we could see the next story. Here's one. Margaret, Margaret Thatcher's relationship with Queen Elizabeth was more nuanced than the crown portrays. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah? Yeah, because, I mean, I haven't seen this show and I don't actually know anything about their relationship. But I mean, I just feel like that makes sense because um, I just can't imagine it not being the case. Right. Do we know who's playing that? It's Gillian Anderson. Oh, she's a good actor. Very what's, kind of. What's her um, whole? Is she British? Irish? She, she she does that other show that's based in Northern Ireland. That's about yeah. a serial killer and takes too long to develop. It's like yeah, it's that really makes me. I can't stand. I can't watch that. I have a high threshold for violence and crime and stuff in my shows, but that's just way too. Yeah, no. And I don't. I I find her character really arched in that show. Yeah, I I I, I couldn't connect. And the, the oh, you couldn't connect as... with the with the with the lead with the main character serial rapist serial killer. Oh, with that's, that's him, def- good. definitely not. No, no. Surprisingly, because sometimes in these shows you do. Yeah, you you're, do... that's the whole point, right? Is that they, yeah. it's like an antihero? Yeah. Yeah, they want you to like feel conflicted. Like, you ever see Starship Troopers? No, but I I know it's very anti-fascist, right? Well, anti-war. Yes, but the whole point of the the whole point of the movie is to get you cheering for the fascists, right? To show you uh, how dangerous to show you it how it is. happens, yeah. uh, because they do a really great job of killing bugs. Yeah, I, I'm going to say that Gillian Anderson's representation of of um, she playing Thatcher, the, the Iron Lady. Yeah, that uh, that it doesn't it, prob- it probably doesn't do justice to the more nuanced reality that was the relationship. Right between uh queen elizabeth and the actual margaret thatcher well now i'm gonna have to shift positions um and say no it did do justice it did yeah it It always does it captured it i mean the one thing about the cross the crown (laughs) that's that's so good about (laughs) it that's coming next year that's with uh who's gonna be who's gonna be jesus is that about jesus yeah that that's gonna be um mel gibson no, it's not going to be Mel Gibson. It's going to be the Rooney, Rooney Mara. Oh, going, Rooney Mara. Yeah. Rooney Mara will be will will play the lead role in the coming Netflix series, The Cross. Which is make, about what? About Jesus. She's going to play Jesus, or yes. she's going to play Mary. Oh, okay. She's going to play Jesus. Got it. Oh, because it's like a reinvisioned. I don't know. I just gender. see it that way. Or it could yeah. be that, or it could be you know, it could be Hulk Hogan. I don't know, but but I'm seeing Rooney Mara, I guess. I guess uh, Hulk Hogan, you would imagine he couldn't stay. I can't, I won't buy that he stays nailed into the cross. <laughs> <laughs> would, they, would, would they have, have long to, enough nails? No, I don't think so, right? He would just thrash <laughs> through them. That would completely change the whole face of history, exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. Because then, then our whole idea about Christianity isn't like, you should just deal with it because like, you know, if you accept your fate with grace, you can get into heaven. Then the message of Christianity should be just like struggle against the fucking nails, right? Yeah. That fight be, back. Fight, fight back. back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, Dan, if we could see the, the third story. Oh, I love this actress. Who's the actress? Uh, she's from uh, Broadchurch. Oh, right. Name? Yes. Yeah. She's so great. Olivia Coleman. Okay. So the crown fact check were the queen's cousins hidden in an asylum. Were they? They were in plain sight. They were in plain sight. They were not hidden. I think we're agreed on this. 
that that was that this was an inaccurate representation. Everyone knew that they were there. They were beloved in the yeah. asylum. They were the they would greet. They actually greeted. They were asylum greeters. Yeah, and that story I just briefly. I, this is something I gleaned from one second of seeing that story. I don't even know what the news source is, but I, but Helena Bonham Carter plays Margaret, uh, and I'm going to say she does it well. She does well, and she's right? not hidden. I mean, she just owns it. She she's a commanding presence. Right. She always is. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's actually, it's called the breeder greeter. That's when you are inbred, a royal uh-huh. inbred person, and you are, uh, they, but you're centered. You're allowed to be a greeter at the mental asylum. Ah, uh, that's what this is. That's, yeah. Okay. You know, we've all heard of the breeder greeter. Right. right. Throughout history. Right. Yes, of course. That, that old saw. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my only problem was that the breeder greeter thing is so, no, it was important to show it. We've all read about it. Yeah. And this is, so the other cool thing about this new segment is we are going to tell you about things that you may not have even heard about, but that are actually, you're going to want to mention at dinner parties. Right. But we don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> so when you, we when you talk about that. it. When we are in, disco- <laughs> we are discovering things, you know, it's like, it's, um, what is it? It's, uh. What what's the big Descartes the, the Cartesian thing? Uh, I, Kogut, not, you're, you're know, I, I think they're the, they're fine. Yeah, so that's really we're leaning into that direction. So so I we don't think that therefore we aren't. No, Wait. we think therefore we are. So we I just see. create. You know. I see. Okay. All right. Uh, so if a if a tree falls in a, uh, a forest and nobody hears, it doesn't make a sound. Well, we're saying. Did we're any, gonna we're gonna say that if, it does. If a tree falls on Netflix, did anybody rate it? Yeah. And review it. Not only did we rate and review it, but we told you about the history of trees. Right. Okay. So we're we're agreed right now that um, you know the show's promising. It's doing great. Everybody's yeah. talking about it. Yeah. Uh, and um, but we're still not gonna. How watch many? It. No. How many seasons is it? Uh, too many. Two. I mean two. That's too many. That's three many. Three it's too three, many. It's I three, want negative. I mean, three. it's funny. It's like I'm I'm conflicted because I've learned so much from not watching it. Right. But it's yeah. four seasons, by the way. Four seasons. Okay. okay. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks we, for mansplaining. We, Dan. we didn't. We didn't know that. And Thanks now for dansplaining. Thanks for dansplaining. Yeah. Yeah, feel free to go back to, you know, your mute button there. Yeah. Buddy. Is four yeah. seasons an accurate amount of seasons for the show The Crown, though? <laughs> Have they portrayed that well on online? No, like I mean, you, no, that's the thing. You barely get the sense that it's four seasons. Having not watched the show, I'm confident. I, I feel confident saying that you have no idea it's four seasons. So wait, if they're still in the Thatcher years in season four, this could fucking go on forever. I mean, the sun never sets on the British Empire or the shows about the British Empire. But I do want to recommend, again, I feel unqualified because I've actually been watching it, but I, I do like The Queen's Gambit. And I saw Chicago 7. Great entertainment. Really weird political messaging. Um, Sounds good. Well, we can ask our next uh, guest about The Crown or not, because that would probably <laughs> offend him. Yeah, The Crown or Chicago 7. Yeah, but... We'll, uh, we'll say that that's why we're having him on. We're about to interview one of the great uh, rock stars of all time, uh, which is amazing. Uh, so we're going to talk to Roger Waters. Obviously, great musician, uh, tr- 
tremendous legacy uh, in rock music. And very a lot political. Of, very political. A lot of really interesting political opinions that he doesn't get to talk about uh, as much because everybody's always giving him a hard time about them. So we want to we want to let him uh, talk about some things yeah. and uh, see what he has to say. And it should be should be really interesting. That should be the subtitle of our interview segments. Talk about some things. Talk about That's some useful things. Useful ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. So we will, uh, we're going to talk to Roger Waters. Hey, Matt. How, how are you doing, Roger? I'm Th- doing thanks well. so much for doing I this. I see you've got shit all over your walls. <laughs> I do, yes. All I, I have quite is, a lot. If you look over my shoulder, you can see the elephant in the room. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. It's very important. Super that's important. really good. That is an excellent that's joke. I like it that. It really is good, yeah. So, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, okay. so You're good. very welcome. Well, yeah, we're talking about Julian, are we? Or anything? We we can, yes. But that fact, that's a good place to start. Um, you've been really outspoken about that. I I actually saw you uh, on the Tucker Carlson show talk, talking about yeah, that, that first and last. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, but but the irony there is, like, if you want to talk about the Assange case on television in America, that's pretty much the only place you can go. That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. So so. Uh, First of all, can you can you speak to uh, what your reaction has been to the way the American news media has covered that story or not covered it? It's been it's been really strange in the last year, especially. Um, well, I've been completely unamazed. <laughs> exactly, right. it's entirely what I would expect. Right, as we right. know, the, the the mainstream media in the United States and in the rest of the American Empire which would include the UK, obviously, most of the EU, blah, blah, Australia, certainly, Canada, whatever. All the media in all of those places, um, they all carry something around in their back pocket, which they check. They go, can I talk about that? No. That's how it runs. And they're completely controlled by the ruling class, and that's all there is to it. So you just have to kind of get used to it. And stop writing editorials for the New York Times or the London Times or the Guardian. You, you, you've paid kind of a pretty heavy price for talking about BDS. And also, I mean, you support, you, you wrote a letter of support for Corbyn. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's been kind That's of amazing, exciting. like this, the, 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 the line of attack against progressive politicians like Corbyn that they're anti-Semitic. I, I actually didn't see that coming because they didn't use it here in, against Sanders, but it, it was it was pretty effective, wasn't it? Or, or, well, they, or do, you, do you think it was? Well, oh, what against Corbyn? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and this is a fight that's only just started. Right. I am in touch with a, a lot of other a lot of activists in in the United Kingdom, and we are we're going to fight back again. I am now in, involved in legal matters where I'm using what what little cash I have. Well, I actually have quite a lot of cash, which is why I use some of it for things like this, um, to defend um, members of Jewish J- Jewish Voice for Labour. Okay, who who, and there are three of them. Who there's one in particular whose name I can't remember, Melissa, somebody or other. I haven't. I didn't know we were going to be talking about this, so I haven't got my notes. I'm very bad at names. Who is being sued by John Ware? who is the guy who directed the disgusting uh, panorama hatchet piece um, on, quote, 
anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, which is a total put-up job, plays fast and loose with any real information, but they're trying to crucify left-wing members of the Labour Party who wouldn't stand for it. The great tragedy of Jeremy Corbyn, wonderful man as he is, is that he didn't stand up and tell them that fuck off at the Labour Party conference in 2019. And he didn't. He somehow thought that appeasement was going to work. He went all Chamberlain with that old picture. I have in my hand a piece of paper signed by the German Chancellor, but we all know the scene. Well, uh, Jeremy, bless him, somehow I think he thought that yeah. it will be all right. And it wasn't. They killed him. Stone dead. They, you know, and it's Talk about foreign governments interfering with elections. The yeah. Israeli lobby totally destroyed any chance of there being a fair election in England in 2019, but they actually did it, and the evidence is all there. And there have been a number of documentaries made about it, called The Lobby by Al Jazeera. There's two of them. There's one about England and one about the and they're both kind of it's so open and shut and there in your face all day, every day. But it's interesting that you say to me, the price I've paid, I haven't paid any price. What price have I paid? I haven't paid a price. I'm still working. I've got a tour, which we've rescheduled for next year. I'm working hard on that. When I go out, there's bums on seats everywhere. I make more than a decent living. And so far... So far, and I'm touching wood furiously, furiously here, um, they haven't managed to shut me up. Yeah. I mean, with the Corbyn uh, aspect, it's interesting, Matt, you said that about Bernie. I mean, of course, Bernie being Jewish gets him the honor of, um, my, like, I get this too, not to compare myself to Bernie. But if you're Jewish and you're critical of Israel, you're called a self-loathing Jew as opposed to an yeah. anti-Semite. So... Uh, but Corbyn didn't have that luxury, so he was full on, uh, you know, just just you know, savage. Well, doesn't Bern Bernie so also, again, bless him. You know, kind of, you know, what's not to love about Bernie Sanders compared with all the others? Yeah, at least. But he also is just he's towing so many party lines. Yeah, he stood up behind Guaido in Venezuela when they attempted to destroy democracy in that country as well. You mean he like stood yeah. up? He I couldn't believe it. I was going, what are you doing? This is insane. But there we are. Yeah. Luckily, that great experiment, yeah. Bolivarian revolution in Venezuela has resisted all the attempts by the American empire to destroy it and to destroy its people as well for the first time in the last 400 years or since, you know, since, since um, the Spanish got to Central and South America, have had a chance, just a chance, to have a fair crack of the whip or a fair slice of cake. And they're getting it as well. Will it survive? Who knows? It actually goes to another question I wanted to ask you because yeah. I've, I've, I've read before where you've talked about that you pay taxes in the United States yeah. Most of your taxes go to the Pentagon, yeah. uh, and it that issue is just never part of our electoral discussion. We we never talk about whether we should spend less or more, or whether we should be in other countries less, 
or doing is is that frustrating you know as somebody who lives here or like yeah, yeah. of course enormously yeah. frustrating my good friend in melbourne australia caitlin johnson whose blog you oh, must yeah. know Mm-hmm. Yeah, says almost nothing else. She says more or less the same thing day after day after day after day. Is there any chance of the American public waking up to the huge lie that it has been told that it is somehow vulnerable to attack from outside and in consequence needs to line the pockets of the very rich by um, Giving the, your giving your my anybody's tax dollars to Raytheon and all the other armaments companies, which gets funneled straight into the pockets of the trillionaires. That's what war is for, and they don't. The American people can't seem to get their minds around it, even though it's been quite obvious since Korea that that's. How would you say it compares the situation in the United States and in um, England in terms of the anti-war movement or kind of an awareness of what uh, the government is doing? You know, what is interesting is that the cabal, United States, UK, France, Belgium, Germany, whoever, the whole Australia, Canada, you always have to include them because they're extremely culpable in all of this, um, have such a tight grip on policy that what the man in the street says, as demonstrated on February the 14th, or whichever day it was, 2003, there can be 30 million of us in the streets all over the world explaining to these fuckers that what they're doing is criminal and insane and morally corrupt and completely wrong and can do nothing but incalculable harm for years and years and years to come. And G.W. Bush and Tony Blair and all the others went, you, we don't care. We don't care what you think. We couldn't give two ticks for what you think. Turns out you were right. You were completely right. All those millions and millions of people in the street. And what a sight. Not that I was there in any of the cities. I wasn't. I was probably on the road, you know, doing something useful. Right. But um, but it happened. And it's there as an example for everyone to see. They were right, you assholes. You were wrong. The many got it completely right. You, the very few rich bastards who tell everybody what to do, got it completely wrong. And they will sit and look at me and say, no, we didn't. We made fortunes. We got it exactly right. We're making fortunes now. We don't give a shit about the pandemic or, or a few people dying in front. Oh, lots. Kill them all. So long as we're lining our pockets. That's all we care about. And it is. The weird thing is that they somehow keep this because they're so good at propaganda. They keep it from the, quote, voters. As we all know, America is not actually a democracy. The electoral system, apart from anything else, um, makes certain of that. And and in the last few years, anyway, Citizens United was the final nail in the coffin. And now there's a 6-3 majority in the Supreme Court. You're going to see a lot more of that, of them deciding what the law is and telling everybody else. Oh, well, send it to the Supreme Court. They're, they're bloody good at deciding right. what's right and what's wrong. No, they're not. They're terrible at it. So who knows whether 
America, the United States of America might eventually, or the people might eventually cotton on to the, to the truth that the country is not being organized for their benefit. They have no health service, they have virtually no welfare, they live in poverty, most of them are in penury. People can work at full-time jobs, sometimes two full-time jobs, and still be living out of the trunk of an old car that they can't afford to get fixed. It's incredible in the richest country in the world. I'm starting to rant. You know, I thought one of the things that was the, the Bush years was interesting is that they figured out they didn't have to listen or worry about protesters anymore. Uh, they had these huge protests against the Iraq war and they just kind of ignored them. Yep. Uh, there were artists who were organized. I mean, back, back in the 60s and 70s when Pink Floyd was, you know, was, was coming up, People were afraid of what artists thought, right? Like the, the they led anti-war movements. They they were major forces in culture. Is that is that still true now? Like or or like the the leaders? I hope not. Mm. I I hope that this new Black Lives Matter, post Ferguson, post George Floyd, or currently with George Floyd, that that movement. That I hope that that has struck enough of a chord that it won't go away. I realized halfway through this, and it's not halfway through, we're just at the beginning of this set of protests, that um, one, should, one shouldn't try and be nonviolent about this. They're not. Why, if you're fighting a monster that is the most violent thing that, certainly that any of us have ever experienced, the United States government and the United States policing of the towns that we live in, they are incredibly violent. You know, and we know that this is the most violent country in the world, not just because there are more guns than there are people, which is pretty weird, but because they get used on people. And so the rate of deaths from the police in the United States is, I think it's like four or five times the number per million or per 10 million or however they gauge it as the next quote civilized country it's extraordinary and yet people go you know you see these good old boys driving up and down i'm out in the hamptons i admit it okay i admit it this is a safe space it's okay and you know you see the good old boys in their pickup trucks covered in Trump 2020 flags. Thank goodness that didn't come to fruition. You know, and thin blue line flags and Confederate flags or whatever, honking their horns, miles and miles and miles of them. So if there's one thing that Trump did, apart from be a buffoon and make everybody, you know, point and laugh, he made it, acceptable to be a racist supremacist good old boy in a pickup truck which shows us that it never went hmm. away and that all the signing of legislation with lbj at the end of the vietnam war and whatever somehow never actually crept into what this country is so i was reading mark lamont hill's uh, new book the other day, We Still Here. And it's a really good book. I would recommend it to anybody who, who hasn't looked at it because um, he is meticulous in describing 
um, the, the situation from his perspective, which is different, certainly than mine, because he's black and I'm white, and it's different. We it's hard for us to quite comprehend the nature of what happens in in this country that we live in. Anyway, and he's great at connecting that to to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He, well, Mark has been, yeah, yeah. Obviously, he's been very involved in that battle as well. But yeah. you will yeah. find that anybody who actually cares yeah. about justice compares about justice for everybody. Yeah, they, they, they really do. So, I'm, I'm just, I've just got involved in my backyard with the Shinnecock Nation. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah. We are just beginning, or they are just beginning. I'm, I'm just helping in every way that I can to engage New York State in, in a legal, in a lawsuit that New York State has lost. Okay, so New York State sued the Shinnecock Nation to get them to tear down a monument. Well, they call it a monument. Everybody else would call it an advertising LED on the side of 27. The state sued these people for putting up an advertising hoarding on their land, on their reservation, that's protected by federal regulations. And, and the Shinnecock for the last 10 years have been recognized federally as a, as a people and a sovereign people. So here they So they go to court in Albany. I'm assuming this, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. And the judge rules for the Shinnecocks. No, you can't make them take it down. No, you can't stop them building more if they want to. No, you can't do that and you can't do that. So what do they do? What are they doing? They're going to appeal it. And then they'll appeal it again and again. What they're going to try and do is starve them out. It's exactly the same tactics. Another court case I'm involved with is representing people in Ecuador against Chevron Corporation. Oh, yeah. This has been going on for 20 years. And Chevron, Chevron at the beginning said, we're not paying a penny. When they lost the case, they lost it. They owe $9.5 billion to 30,000 Ecuadorian rainforest dwellers. They won't give them a single cent. They just said no. And they've done everything that they can. And at the beginning, they said, we will fight this case till hell freezes over. And when that happens, we will fight it on the ice. <laughs> Give me another. I'm pretty tough, hombre. Well, that's what they said? That's what Chevron said. Uh, uh -huh. So, well, Chevron, and I've said this to you often, I'm just an old bass player, but I'll be there on the ice. <laughs> I'll yeah. be there. I'll fight you underwater when the ice is melted. You know, we're not going away. They've got our lead human rights lawyer in this subject. He's been yeah. under house arrest in New York. He's called Stephen Donziger for 500 days with an ankle bracelet. Can't go anywhere or doing. You know what? For a misdemeanor, for a contempt charge. Like a contempt of court charge? He's, a he's criminal a, contempt of court charge, yeah. Wow. So your, your counsel's been in an ankle bracelet for over a year because of a yeah. wild. You know what for? Do you know what his crime is? He, he, they tried to get him to turn over his laptop and his cell phone that he's used all the way through his advocacy for the Ecuadorian rainforest people to Chevron. And he went, I can't do that. That breaks client privilege. That's against the law. 
contempt of court, take the prisoner down. I mean, can you believe it? Luckily, this is starting to um, dribble out into, um, into the legal community. And there are now some very hard and heavy hitting and extremely um, um, well-respected lawyers like Marty Garbus is one of them, but there are many of them. And they've now insisted on forming a committee to oversee the legal proceedings that are trying to send Stephen Donziger to jail for trying to stand up for human rights. But this is the country we're living in. That's why we have to be on the streets or wherever we can to fight back. We have to stand up and fight back and encourage one another across any barriers that there might be between progressive people, we have to ignore all of that and just stand together and help each other. Because that's what community is, you know. Yeah, I was, well, how much are you worried about things like internet censorship, yeah. uh, you know, suppressing news about whether it's a case about Chevron or, uh, you know, Israel-Palestine news? I mean, you, well, you, you, you've talked... International well, youth and students for social yeah, equality. Exactly. That's why there was a picture of me yeah. with a thing over my mouth with Twitter written on it. I'm hugely worried about it. These are appalling monopolies. And they have secret meetings in the Pentagon. And they're totally controlled by the government, whoever it is. It doesn't matter because they, the government, whoever it, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump, they have, they are following the same set of rules and they have the same basic principles. They're going to maintain the grip of an extremely wealthy ruling class on this country and go on milking it for as long as they can, which unless we, the people, stand up and say no, will be until it's all gone because they're destroying it faster than it's possible for any of us to imagine. They're destroying the whole earth. And we all know that. You know it. You know it. You know we're, we're sitting. We all know that. Everybody knows it. We've been being told it by wise people for at least the last 50 years. But they, they go, Psh, we're not bothered about that. Let's just keep making money. All of them. This group that was shut down, uh, they're, of course, associated with the world, uh, what is it, the World uh, Socialist website. And yeah. Matt, you're always covering their, the censorship yeah. that happens to them. That Sometimes the left gets a little confused, I think, and, and thinks that the way you shut down like right-wingers or racists is, is through, through content moderation. And as, as people, as we try to point out on the show, that tar will wind up targeting socialists and Palestinians. <laughs> Yeah. the most old absolutely so i on a piece of paper over there i've got something that was an alternative to my thing with twitter on it which was said liberate the internet um you know deconstruct google and um, facebook and twitter they're they're a poor they're terror they're deeply deeply dangerous monopolies and and they are becoming hugely more and more and more powerful and this is, I mean, Facebook's probably the most powerful engine on earth. And it's run by some prick who got its start by grading co-eds in a high school. <laughs> That's where he's at. I mean, it's unbelievable. 
that he should have any influence on it on any of them. And I, I know, I know, I'm, I mean, I don't know how it happened. I'm flabbergasted by it. I can't believe, I can't. But then I, I never had anything to do with any of them until a few years ago when I decided to go back on the road again. Oh, you've got to have a website. Why? Because oh, that's how people communicate with you. That's how people will know you're going on the road. Right. Oh, I thought you did it with the radio. No, you do it like that. Oh, really? And so I started a website. I've got it now, rogerwaters.com. Yeah. It's cool. And it was like, for the first six months, it had like 2,000 people now. And now it's, I don't know, 2.6 million or something. So it's it slowly become a large number of people. And, uh, and, it, and it's sort of in the sights of the Israeli lobby trolls and other trolls and, you know, right, white supremacist trolls as well. Um, but is it is it dangerous? Yeah, it is. I, I sometimes I have to ask myself, should you really be using Facebook at all? And it's always the same thing. You think, well, a one-man boycott is not going to... Yeah. You know, if I could persuade the 300 million people who use Facebook, or however many it is, to all stop using it, I would. I absolutely would. Was the wall, like, uh, I always thought... It was full of all this dystopian imagery and like, uh, and language and metaphor. I mean, do you, do you do you think in this kind of like the tech world where we have all this these this global infrastructure that a lot of them? I, I don't know. You tell me because I'm I I think I got some some of it wrong in terms of what that album was about. But it always felt to me that it was a it was a a story about a future dystopia that could be coming. Is it more relevant today than it was then, or, or well, what, what's if the you message? Think about it. It was nineteen seventy-nine. You were probably about three. I was nine. <laughs> yeah. see? But I love the album. I mean, I'm I grew up listening to you. Take this boy out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't born. <laughs> um, right. It would take her away as well. Yeah. No, I mean it. The it's very interesting that. There's some of the imagery from the wall is is the only thing that the Anti-Defamation League or any of the rest of them have tried to pin on me and have sort of vaguely succeeded. And that is the Star of David on the Pig that somebody filmed at a wall show outdoors in Belgium in 2011 or something like that. Or whatever. But let, let's talk about, let's talk, well, and I, I explain obviously that that pig came out in the part of the show where I, because of um, all the difficult things from my childhood and so on, have turned into a fascist demagogue. Mm. You know? And and I play that on stage in a black leather coat with an armband, which is crossed hammers, which might just as well be a swastika. It's quite obvious what I'm, I'm talking about, fascism. But I'm talking about... And, and so... And the pig was part of that bit of the show, it floated over the audience somewhere. And um, it was malevolent and it was covered in symbols. The Star of David was only one of them. There was also a crucifix, a McDonald's sign, um, dollar signs, obviously. I can't remember now, but there were about 20 different things. They, of course, you know, zeroed in on this. Anyway, I think at the time I eventually thought this is more trouble than it's worth and removed it. It's not central. This show isn't about Israel. This show isn't about Zionism. 
this show is about extremism. Is this show partly about fascism? Yeah, it is. Is Israel an apartheid? Yeah, it is. Is it bordering on fascist? Yeah, it is. But is it worth all of this? No, it's not. You know, I still in the in the movie that I made from the thing, there was still I think I think there were stars of David falling out of bombers. So, but so to answer your question, is it nodding at Orwell and Huxley? looking forward to a dystopia that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it is. But it's also looking back to um, Weimar Germany. It's looking back to 1933. It's looking back to the democratic election of the Führer, which, let's not forget, was part of the very first few pieces of that jigsaw puzzle, and we know where that ended up. Mm. So... um, The wall covers myriad issues, and a lot of them are just personal sort of 29-year-old man trying to transcend his um, frightened and scary childhood. And to right, grow up problems you had in school and that, that yeah, sort and of thing. It. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly, which is something that we all have to do. Not, not all of us are lucky enough to um, have the luxury of being able to write pop songs about it. Mm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean... Interestingly enough, the last record I made, Is This the Life We Really Want, is in many ways more direct. And I'm working, I'm working on bits of songs from that. In fact, the title track from that, I've been working on the visuals of it for the new show just this last week. Oh, wow. When are you, when are you going, to, going out on tour? Well, that's a bit of a secret, the actual date, but it's some, sometime ne- next fall, next autumn. Oh, great. This but, tour is called okay. This Is Not A Drill. <laughs> it's like like the last few tours I've done. It will it will be thematic, conceptual, blah, 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 blah. But it will have old Pink Floyd songs in it. When I say old Pink Floyd songs, I mean my songs from when I was in Pink Floyd. <laughs> so, because there's often some confusion. About all of that. But luckily now there are whole new generations growing up who've never heard of Pink Floyd, which is a very good thing. Who are being reintroduced to your music. That's gotta be cool. Right? Well they are, yeah, it is cool. It is cool. Yeah. Um I love the fact that when I when I go when I was on the road with us and them up until a couple of years ago, um the demographics of the audience were quite extraordinary. They had an average age of twenty-four or something. They were nearly all young mm. people then a few of my generation, and then a lot of my children's generation, but mainly young people who got it, copped it, and got, I want to go and see what that's all about. I've heard about it. I've heard about it. Now I want to go and see it, which is cool. Um, it, you know, what is going to happen? Isn't it fascinating and disgusting that we sort of don't know? It, the, the picture may become somewhat clearer now Trump's gone because... The fact that the fact that U.S. policy was being dictated by that skinny prick Kushner, and, <laughs> yeah. and and the awful daughter, and they were swanning around on U.S. one or whatever, making foreign policy for Palestinians. I mean, it's disgusting. It's a huge joke, but it's a really, really disgusting joke. Will Joe Biden is is Joe Biden who stands there and says, "I'm the biggest." you know, supporter of that Israel has ever had, you know, may mean that there's any, will he, will he move the 
embassy, embassy back to Tel Aviv? Will he stop giving them 10 billion uh, you know, bucks a year, or three billion it is, three billion dollars a year in military aid? Probably not. He'd probably give them more just to show what a good chap he is. But I don't think the world will stand for it. They won't stand for it. And if it becomes a single state, the world will not stand for it being a declared, very pleased with itself, patting itself on the back, apartheid state with no freedom, no, no friends of freedom, unless, you know, unless you're Jewish, but not for anybody else, and not for any of the indigenous people. They've tried to pretend that the indigenous people didn't exist. Golda Meir was that, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, this was their angle. There aren't any people here. Nobody no. lived here. Oh, really? Tell that to the 800,000 who left in 1948 and to the two or three million who are still there. Yeah, it's interesting. They, they, it's, it's the, one of their biggest historians, Benny Morris, Benny, yeah. uh, you know, who, who was critical of, he was one of the new Zionist historians, and then he kind of flipped positions and wants Israel to invade, you know, to drop bombs on Iran. But he wrote this book, 1948, which like documents ethnic cleansing, what he called ethnic cleansing. And now he's all gung ho for Israel. And they're like, what, how can you say that when you're the one who documented ethnic cleansing? He's like, it was ethnic cleansing. And if we had done more, it wouldn't be a problem today, which is just like, <laughs> Great so. Great accent, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. Thank I you. couldn't get away with that. I yeah, would, right. Yeah, I, it's one I, of the perks. Yeah, one the of the perks. Cutting yeah. my balls off yeah. if I did that. Yeah. Double perks for me. No balls and happen to be Jewish. So uh, <laughs> double bonus. Yeah. Um, but it's just funny because that's, you know, he even, I mean, here in the United States, I think it's there people are much more successful at pretending that there was there were no people there. Um, but there it's kind of like the, the issue is just like, oh, they, sh they were, they were there, but you know, they didn't belong there or they all wanted to go or, you know, it's interesting how they have to try to struggle with the reconciling history and, you know, like facts on the ground with ideology. Well, you know, that battle is true all over the world. I am now part of it locally here. Um, in Southampton, New York. Southampton, New York, guys, okay, there is a war about to start with New York State judiciary because they will not accept the fact that they lost their court case to try and get the Shinnecock Nation mm. to be quiet, shut up, and do their bidding and do as they're told. Um, these are a proud and wonderful people and they are sovereign on their land, and they cannot be told what to do. And, in, and, and, not, and more than that, the world, maybe not the east end of Long Island, but the world is waking up to the enormous emotional, mental health even, chaos in our societies because of the way the English, the French, the Germans, the Dutch, the Belgians, and all the other settler colonial nations treated all the indigenous people wherever they went anywhere in the world and just slaughtered them, as many as they could, I told the rest to be quiet or we'll slaughter you too. And it's only just in the very last few years that some people, some of us, some of us white settler colonialists are beginning to wake up and go, wow, I can't believe we did that. But we did, and it was disgusting. And we're still doing it. 
It's happening all over the world. That's what the money that the Pentagon spends is used for. It's to do that to brown people all over the world. That is what it's for. It's to steal their lithium, their oil, anything mineral under the ground, anything, or to steal their labor. Anywhere there's a sweatshop. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. The American empire is to steal land and resources from brown people who don't live here and to keep brown people who might like to live here out, separate them from their children and keep them in effing cages at the border. So you just think, you know, you, you can say, I don't care, I'm a good old boy. Or you can go, you know what, that doesn't make me feel good. I don't feel good about that. In fact, I feel terrible about it. You see what it's doing. It's just heartbreaking. Sorry. No, it's okay. But the, the last question that I had was sort of related to that. So when Trump is president, Trump looks like all those things, yeah. right? Like he, he, he looks like a pig. Yeah. He is personally disgusting. He says terrible yeah. things. And he... Uh, Creates and created for a lot of people a kind of political awareness that maybe they didn't have before, because they were motivated to get rid of him. But is there a how worried are you that maybe now that he's gone, that people aren't going to pay attention to the awful things that happen kind of beneath the surface? Uh, you know, now that there's yeah. no longer this horrific figure in public. And for instance. For instance, just to add to that, Michelle Florney, who's his likely pick for um, the Pentagon, she herself said when there was consideration of um, when Israel was uh, proposing unilateral annexation of the West Bank, uh, she said, I would hate to see some in Congress decided they're going to hold hostage our security assistance to Israel as a way of protesting their policies in the West Bank. So that's an example of the kind of Biden you know, the kind of people we'll see in the Biden administration, they're not going to be born again Christians, Zionists, but they're not going to, but they're fine with uh, supporting Israel. Yeah, well, it's like, uh, who, what was the woman's name who they put in charge of the CIA, who used to be a concentration camp guard in a black site in bloody Thailand or somewhere? Yeah, Haspel. What was her name, Matt? Gina Haspel. Gina Haspel. Gina ha exactly, yeah. Yeah. When you mm. saw all that going on, you're going, oh, my God. What? Um, how is that not hard to believe? Of course they are. Just like this woman. Yeah, of course yeah. they're going to put an absolute died-in-the-wall murdering swine in that job because that's who you need. Nobody who wasn't would do the job. Yeah. You know, you know um, Noam Chomsky said something interesting about Davos a few months ago, and it stuck with me. He said they, they asked them all at the most recent Davos in to list the 19 most important things, you know, blah, 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 blah. And climate change wasn't in the top 19 for any, any single one of the main executives at Davos. <laughs> so you can have a chuckle about that and go. Um, and I can't even remember what was the most important thing. Um, but what he, what he did say was that he said, whoever is the CEO of Exxon now, you know, or who was the CEO of Philip Morris during the tobacco things and all of that, they know the science mm, yeah. because they did it. Exxon yeah. actually did a lot of the science, but it, it was inconvenient at the end of the day. So they, 
And they all gather in Davos and all together they go, I know what to do. Let's destroy the world. And they all pat each other on the back and say, bloody good idea. And then they do it. But if you take one of them to one side and go, do you really want it? Don't you have children or grandchildren? I think, why do you want to destroy the world? They go, uh, um, um, and then you realize that they want to destroy the world because they're the CEO of Exxon. And they get $10 million a year for being that, plus their bonuses and this and that and the other. And if they didn't destroy the world, Exxon would find somebody else to do it and they wouldn't have a job. Right. So they're totally ruled by the idea that, A, they have power and a corporate jet and earn a lot of money. No, they're totally ruled by that. And the fact that they have children and grandchildren and that other people do, they obviously they don't empathize with others right. at all. They cannot have a shred of empathy to do it. But also they don't care about their own kids or their own grandchildren. They go, fuck it, we'll destroy the world. We have to, to make the money. It's weird. And he's right. Davos, you know, Davos, are you serious? Why is that helpful to anybody? That's all them. It's a gathering of them with a few U2 blokes thrown in on the side, the agent fucking what's his name as well. But it's not for us. It's not for the people. It's not for any, um, it's not for any proper reason. It doesn't do any good to anybody. I don't think anyway. Sorry, last question. I know I already said I was, that was the last one was the last question, but uh, I saw an interesting answer you gave once. Somebody asked you like, can music be like a bridge that can help be an equalizer politically, or I forget what the question was. The, the person was clearly expecting you to say yes, and you said no. Uh, and basically, you said, "I don't believe music. You know, I, music can be an equalizer or affect politics in the way that the person was saying." Um, but you did say that the music can help you discover empathy, or that it, people it can help people do that. When you look back at, at, at your career and the music you're making now, what what are you most proud of? What do you think music does for people? Like, what's the what's what's the best thing about it? Well, that, that's a very you know it's a broad question, but and so there's a million answers I think to that question because it it only works specifically. If you were to say to me, "What do you think about this particular song?" And what it might have done because immediately when I think about music, it's so broad because. If you, even talking about a song, you might be talking about the melody or the arrangement or the or the structure or the production of a record, or you might be talking about the ideas that are expressed in the lyrics, whether it's poetic, whether it means any, or political, or whether it stirs you in some way that doesn't. I'm reminded of a poem that I wrote, I sent to Cormac McCarthy, the great American novelist. When I read All the Pretty Horses for the first time, when I'd finished it, I was so stunned by that book, by the writing, but also and everything about it, you know. I wrote this, I sent it to him, he never replied, but I sent it. There is a magic in some books that sucks a man into connections with the spirits hard to touch that join him to his kind. A man will eke the reading out, guarded like a canteen in the desert heat. And sometimes, but sometimes needs must drink. And then the final drop falls sweet, last page turns the end. Well, that shows that I have an attachment to what literature can do for me under certain circumstances. That is also true of songs. 
So, so when I listen to Rachel singing George on my mind when I'm 15 years old, drinking a cup of tea at two o'clock in the morning in Cherry Hint Road in Cambridge, and uh, um, like that, like that feeling that we know of being moved by something, and in that case, a piece of musical work. I remember saying, that 15-year-old said to himself, if I could ever write anything that moved anybody a millionth as much as this moves me now, I would consider my work done. Not that I was even thinking then that I might become a songwriter someday, but so yeah, of course it's hugely important. And there are those transcendental moments and it doesn't have to be that. It can be the, you know, the, um, the adagio from Marla's Fourth Symphony. Every time you hear that, you go, yeah, it still gets me. Every, I used to play that before gigs, mm. you know, Marla's Fourth Symphony, because it's like, and and so oh, thank God, thank God for Puccini and Marla and, you know, the Romantics, who, uh, which is where my great loves lie. But also for John Prine, who I miss desperately. And, uh, but for, for the humanity of his work, it's the humanity of his work. You know, the laying out of the great human being that he is. Um, to share that with us, not just to illuminate our lives, but to help us get through tomorrow as well, and to keep writing. One, one, just to clarify, I'm sorry if I didn't make it clear, but um, before when Matt, you asked about Trump I, I, and how we're going to survive post-Trump um, or how we're going to be able to be as, as vigilant, right? Because I brought up Michelle Thorne because, you know, she's an example of basically the same bad policies, but a little bit, uh, but without the as um, inflammatory rhetoric, which is how mm -hmm. I see Biden, like writ large. So I'm wondering if you have any ideas about how we can make sure to not like, you know, just all go out and have brunch or go back to no, quote unquote normal um, when we have Biden office. Uh, and then a question, I had a question about your father. Um, and, you know, it's so interesting that he was a pacifist, right? And then he, he had a change of heart and fought in the war and was killed. Um, how has that shaped, I mean, this is a huge question, but how has that shaped your view um, of nonviolence and violence? Um, and have you, has that view of that changed over time? No, I don't think so. Um, the fact, his story, and the fact that I know it, because it was told to me by my mother, obviously been hugely influential and, and probably quite difficult as well, looking back on it, because... Um, the act of a Christian, devout Christian, um, conscientious objector who goes through the extreme bravery of standing in front of the conscription board and saying, I can't kill people, and, and, by, and then driving an ambulance, and, and then changing his mind because he's become a communist and going back and saying, change my mind and being, you know, conscripted and then officer training and then bang, dead. It's so heroic that it's a hard thing for a child to grow up with. There's some great stuff about this in Blood Meridian, which is another of Cormac McCarthy's great novels. Fantastic bit about this, but I won't go into that. Or we'll be here all day. Um, well, what, what was the other part? So there's that. 
um, I've been working on Is This the Life, which is a song of mine. What, and, and, the end, and the end of her, and there's lines in it that I've been working on for the last couple of weeks on visuals for them. And um, the very end of the thing so goes, so every time the curtain falls on some forgotten foreign life, it is because we all stood by silent and indifferent to normal. Wow. Yeah. So that is an appropriate piece of my writing on a record that I, only, that I made in 2015. So it's already five years old. It, they, things drift into the past very, very quickly and easily. And I'm going to tell my mum's story before we finish, because having spoken about my dad, when I was 13, I think, my mum one day um, she said to me, we were talking about something that I was having a problem figuring out. And she said, Roger, as you grow up and through your life, you're, you're often going to come across things um, where you have to make decisions about things and, and which may be complicated, complex, political things and other things, emotionally, all kinds of different things. And when you do, and you find yourself wrestling with something, I, I, what, I, if you take my advice, you will look at it from all sides, listen to all possible opinions on it, do as much research as you can until you're really au fait with the subject, really feel you've got a grasp of it. After that, your work is done. All the hard work is done. The next bit is easy. You just do the right thing. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> I mean, I'm joking. She's been yeah. dead for 10 years, my mum. But what an amazing gift to give an adolescent because you, you can't get rid of it. You, you, I lived the rest of my life and have done probably since that moment, though it only really sunk in maybe 20 years later after that. Of how, what is the right thing? You know, because there's always a right thing, always. Mm. How, do, how do you figure it out? That, that's, that's a trick. It's great stuff. But, it, but, you know, if we can get more of us to do the right thing, yeah. then we're home free. We'll start looking after one another. We'll start and we'll begin to have something that might be called a community because that's what community is. It's looking after the most vulnerable of us, really properly looking after them. And for that, you need to stop spending all my tax dollars on <laughs> nuclear weapons. <laughs> we'll try to get a try to get that changed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, all right, that... and keep practicing the drums. Yeah. I, I will. I'm terrible. So, but uh, they're they're fun. So that, that right. that's the important thing. Thank you so oh, much. It's been such an honor. Yeah. Yes, thank you so no, much. But I, I, this is great. I love this blog thing. That you, if it's called a blog that you do webinars and stuff, and, and many others that I watch because I follow you, you know, and Aaron Mate and my friends at Grey Zone and blah, 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 oh. and all of those. But because we, you are the future of, of where, how do we get the grounding that we need to decide to do the right thing? You. That's, yeah. that's why what you do is so valuable. Wow. Oh, don't tell anyone. With you the, ain't going to uh, get it from Fox News or CNN. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. No. Excellent. Thank you so much yeah, for coming on. Thank you on. so much. I appreciate so it. Good, and good luck with uh, going on tour. Again.
Yes. All right. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. All right. Take care now. Cheers, guys. That was amazing. It was super interesting. He's how did, what's so cool about him is he really takes, you know, there's so many celebrities that like, okay, music aside, um, there's so many celebrities who join these kind of milk toast causes or champions that general, like, you know, loves Trump's hate, whatever. But he's just like in there with all the bravest takes positions. Um, and like all over Israel, you know, Venezuela, like he's, uh, up on everything. Like, so I, I grew up listening to his records and, He's clearly got, um, he's got a part of his personality clearly that's like very sentimental and poetic. If you listen to the songs like Wish You Were Here or Shine yeah. On You, Crazy Diamond, whatever. But then there's other other stuff that's just like angry and it's not like performative angry. It's like angry, angry. Yeah. Um, and it comes from, it clearly comes from a real place and that's that you can, you can take tell you know that talking to him i never talked to him before that it's uh it's not put on it's not an act yeah so uh really really interesting um very cool stuff i'm gonna i'm gonna go watch the watch the bob geldof version of the wall now yeah uh, yeah uh, but anyway great stuff um we'll get together again next week and we'll review more um shows that we didn't watch yeah that's Hopefully. one of the things yeah and yeah. everyone should follow him on twitter at roger waters um uh, just Roger Waters is his name and his Twitter handle and his website, rogerwaters.com. But seriously, it's like a great action alert. You'll see all these great causes that he's talking about. All right, cool. Uh, thanks for tuning in uh, and listening and rate review us. Uh, do not patronize uh, the evil others. And mm-hmm. um, We're otherizing Pod Save America and that's fine. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and thanks again. We'll see you next week. Great. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.